Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. with a new sermon series called The Seven Deadly Sins. And, and what's interesting about this series, and to understand this series, is not that these sins are judged more harshly than others or that they're special in some kind of way or that you deserve a special kind of punishment when you commit one of these sins. But what the early church realized or what they identified is that these sins have the ability to give birth to many other sins as well. And, and so it's good to kind of recognize some of these. But what we want to do in these series is not just spend time on the sin itself, that a lot of us have experienced, but two things. We want to identify what are some of the fears in our hearts that actually give rise to these particular sins. And so we want to confront our own fears. And the second thing that we want to do is that we want to see what are some of the virtues that the Spirit produces in us which are contrary or counter to these sins. And so, yes, we want to speak about that, but we actually want to focus on, but what does the Bible say? How does the gospel produce different fruits within our hearts. And as Eulene prayed, and as Pinky said, we are today chatting about greed, which is a big one, a good one to start off with. And so let me pray again for our hearts. There's lots been said, lots been prayed, but just so that we can keep focus. Father God, we need your spirit right now. The moment that we hear something negative or something that might apply to us, we tend to shut down and shut off. Father, we need your spirit to awaken our hearts and to hear not only the devastating effects of sin, but the good news of the gospel. Help us for your glory to love you, to honor you, to live for true gain. Amen. Amen. Family, there's a movie that's been done in 1987 and in 2010, a remake of it. It's called Wall Street Money Never Sleeps. And a question that gets asked in that movie is actually a question that floats around people doing stocks and that live on Wall Street. And the question that people often ask one another is, what is your number? What is the amount of money in your bank account that would be enough for you to walk away from it all? To walk away from the rat race, to say, I have enough. For some, it's two or three million dollars. Some are really ambitious, and it's 10, 20, or 30 million dollars. And it'd be super interesting this morning, even as I ask that question, to say, well, what is your number? What do you think your number is that would make you walk away from everything and say, it's enough? It's super interesting. In the movie, the answer given is so apt, so good in describing almost the condition of our hearts. When he asks the question, what is your number? The answer that is given is more. It's always more. There will never be enough. There's always another mountain to climb, always another level to be reached. The fictional character in the movie called Gordon Gecko makes the assertion that greed is good. Greed is the thing that pushes us to greatness. Greed is the thing that pushes and turns the great wheels of capitalism. So we don't need less greed, we need more greed. More, more, more. However, in the movie, and even after the movie, the time where the movie was made, the fruits of this greed became clear to the rest of the world. As a result of greed, 
on Wall Street, they were involved with overspending and overlending, and that caused the 2008 credit crunch, the financial crisis that swept the globe. It's greed that causes great inequality in our societies. It is greed that causes pharmaceutical companies to, slow with va- to, to be slow with vaccine rollout to countries like the continent of Africa because we have less money and to be quick to the other countries that can afford it more. It is greed that uses a pandemic for profit. It's greed that wrecks families and relationships as children are sacrificed on the altar of your vocation. Greed is this inordinate desire, this selfish, intense desire for something particularly that can be summed up in wealth or power. And the great problem with greed, and I think Eileen prayed this, is that greed is really subtle. It's not, it's not always easy to identify. I'm not sure of any person that I've met that would admit that they're greedy. No, I'm just ambitious. I just want a better life for me and my family. No, I'm just a businessman. I'm not greedy. All of us, no matter who you are, no matter what your profession, you want gain in this life. You want to make sure that you look after yourself and the people around you. And not just that, we want to make sure that we don't lose out. If someone else is having a piece of cake, I want some of that as well. And counterintuitively, this family, uh, or this morning family, I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't want gain. I'm not going to tell you that this isn't something that you shouldn't desire. In fact, I think you should desire the best life you can have. I think you should want to have the best for yourself, for your family, your relationships, and for the society around you. I know it sounds a bit selfish, but it's true. And even the Bible says this, is do these things to save yourself. What we need to do this morning is we need to realize what is, in fact, the best thing for us and for the people around us. I do, however, think that the best thing for your life is different than what the world would suggest. And the first kind of line, the first verse, verse 6 in our passage, just sums it up beautifully. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And that's what we'll be speaking about tonight. Why do we believe this is true? Why do we believe godliness with contentment is gain rather than through greed trying to get gain for yourself? And what are the dangers and the sins that can spread through this greed? And so just to give us a little bit of context about our passage today, I know we're thematic, and so we're jumping into the middle of Timothy. Uh, But Paul is writing to this guy, Timothy, to encourage him to stay faithful to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And the letter ends with the following words. Paul tells Timothy, saying, Oh, Timothy, God, the deposit entrusted to you, Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. And so what Paul is specifically telling to Timothy, or what he's specifically addressing in this letter, is false teachers that have entered into their midst and that are preaching a modified gospel. And and the terrible thing is, they're preaching this modified gospel for their own financial gain. We're not exactly sure what those false preachers preached, but I'm pretty sure we don't need, we have no shortage of examples of today where people actually use the gospel for selfish gain and for profit. 
We see it so many times around us. The root of this twisted way of thinking and preaching to use the gospel for yourself is, of course, because of greed. It's greed poisoning people's hearts into believing that financial and material gain is the pathway to true contentment and joy. And so the response of Paul is to encourage Timothy and to encourage us today to rather believe the truth, to rather grow in godliness and in contentment in what we have, for therein lies true gain. And so in our passage today, what Paul first does, he uses or he gives us two major reasons why contentment with godliness is better than rather going the root of the world in greed. He says, firstly, he shows us that material wealth is temporary and easily taken away. And secondly, he just shows us the dangers and the evils of greed. And so let's jump in, verses 6 to 8. Paul says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. And so super clear why he believes godliness is rather great gain the material wealth is because our beginning and end point is exactly the same with nothing we came into this world and we're not going to be able to take anything out of this world and so the logical conclusion of is is if this life is temporary if it's over in the blink of an eye rather spend it on the things that you can have eternal effect and eternal return on investment in godliness is those things Rather labor for that which lasts. Godliness and living closer in relationship with the one whom we will be spending eternity with. It's not just beneficial for this life, godliness, but also for the life to come. And therefore be content. Be thankful. Be happy with what God has provided you in food and clothing. And then Paul goes further for those who would yell at him at this stage, but you only live once. Those who would say, well, it's precisely because this life is so temporary, because this life is so quick, that I'm, at the very least, I want to enjoy it. I want to use it to the best of my ability, and I want to make it all about me, 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 me. (laughs) And again, when we're talking about those who would think of this way, we're not just talking about the obviously greedy people out there. I'm talking about many Christians who would give this objection, who want the best of both worlds. Those who say, yes, on Sundays, I will give myself to God. Yes, I'll give my worship to Him, but the rest of the week, it's about me. It's about my kingdom. It's pumping my bank account. It's making sure that my kingdom is growing. The rest of the time, I'm going to invest in me. To those that think this way, Paul says the following from verse 9 onwards. He says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence 
of many witnesses. Often when we talk about the greedy, we, we think about those stockbrokers, those on Wall Street, those millionaires. They're obviously greedy. But the text never actually mentions those that have a lot of money. No, it, it mentions something much more sinister than that. Paul refers not to the rich or money being the root of all evil. No, he refers to the problem of the heart. Those who desire to be rich. Those who love money. The love of money is the root of all evil. The problem that most of us face is that that love hides away in our hearts. And because greed is so subtle, it's really difficult to pick up. Many people would acknowledge that they struggle with anger or lust or slothfulness and many other sins listed that we're going to go through in this series. But I'm yet to meet the person that is able to confess, yes, I'm greedy and I'm struggling with this. I'm yet to meet that person and even myself. The reason for this is because our greed is so difficult to measure. You can have nothing yet be greedy. What we tend to do is either justify why we want some material gain or we compare ourselves to the people around us. Yes, I have a lot, but not as much as my neighbor. I'm not nearly as rich as that person. It's so easy to hide the greed in our heart. It's so easy not to acknowledge it. Yet the dangers of greed are far-reaching. As Paul puts it, it's a snare it's, that leads many people to ruin and destruction. It leads to all kinds of evil and has led many to wander away from the faith. Proverbs 1.19 says that such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Ultimately, greed left unchecked takes the life away of its possessors. It, it destroys relationships. It wrecks societies because greed is selfish. It is self-centered, self-serving. A person who ultimately just completely gives in, who gives in to greed becomes like a black hole. A black hole is a star at the end of its life that at the end starts to implode. The gravity of that imploding star becomes so big that nothing escapes it. Not even light escapes that gravity. And such is the person consumed by greed. After a while, you're unable or unwilling to see the damage that you are doing to the people around us, around you because of the greed becoming all-consuming. And I purposefully said greed left unchecked because I think this is a good place for all of us to start, is to acknowledge that all of us to some degree have greed in our hearts. Why? Because there's something in all of us that wants more. And the reason for that is, is because we want to be the ones that are in control. The one with the most wealth, the one with the most possessions, that's the person who gets to call the shots. That's the person who sets the rules. I do not think that deep down society as a whole knows, or I, I do think that society as a whole, we would all agree that greed is destructive for any community because it wants to serve the individual rather than the whole. But how do we guard against it? 
How do we fight back the poison that is in our veins that is fueled by our fear of not being in control? Well, we need something much more than mere avoidance behavior. We can't just say, well, I'm going to be minimalist. I'm going to walk away from it all, walk away from the city. You know, I live on my own plot of land, grow my own things. Because even in that, that's self-serving. It's about you in that moment. And so what we need is something more. We need a virtue to be produced in our hearts, a counterbalance to our greedy hearts. And family, that morning, that virtue that we need is generosity. And the only place where we can really develop generous hearts is at the foot of the cross. It's amazing, the story of the gospel, the radical difference that we see between one man's greed and one man's sacrifice. Judas, one of the 12 disciples, interesting, he was in charge of the money. He was the guy carrying the money bags. He was the one that went to the leaders to betray Jesus, and he asked them, what can you give me? And they said, 30 pieces of silver. And his greed convinced him to kill Jesus, to betray Jesus. And Jesus, on the other hand, the complete counterbalance, he is someone that already had everything. Everything belongs to him, and yet he decides to give it all up. He decides to take on, Philippians 2 tells us, not just human form, but the form of a servant. And he becomes obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus did not hold anything back. He was not sparingly with what he was giving us. No, he gave everything, every drop of blood. He was generous with every drop of blood that he gave so that we now can enjoy the richness of the fellowship with the Father. Jesus didn't simply give, come to give us a good message or good hope. He gave us himself. He shared himself with us in the most literal sense possible. One man's greed, one man's greed led to the death of an innocent man. One man's generous sacrifice led to the salvation of many. It's only once our hearts truly understand this generous sacrifice of Jesus that through the work of the Holy Spirit we can start to change. And so Paul shows us, he shows that as we behold the cross, as we behold the gospel, as we allow the Spirit to come into our lives and to change our lives to look for the better, he shows us practically what this looks like from verses 17 to 19. He says, For the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are good to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of what is truly life. And so practically what this means for us family, if you want to change, firstly, you need to be captured by the gospel. You can't try and modify your behavior. The poison runs too deep. The fear is too deep for us. But as we behold this glory, we start changing. And practically, we want to be a family who does not set our hope or trust on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. And make no mistake, 
All of us are rich in this room to some degree. All of us are better educated than 95% of the people in our country. And so one of the ways that we can do this, even as a local family, is by sharing, by giving away what we have to communicate, not just to our own hearts, but to God, that this isn't the things that I want to trust on. By giving away, we're physically communicating to ourselves, to the people around us, and to God, I don't want to trust on these things. And I do believe that that's part and parcel why tithing is in the church, why God chose financial giving as part of what we needed in the church. God doesn't need our money, let's be honest. He has all money, but he chooses this process, I think, for our own hearts. So that we can partner what God is doing, but even as we're tithing, even as you're giving generously every month, and it's painful when you're giving back to God, we communicate to ourselves that I want to invest in something better because let's be honest, there's no material return on investment when you give to the church, okay? It's all spiritual. And the thing about spiritual investments are that it's really long-term. You don't see the return of your spiritual investment right now. Or very rarely you do. Sometimes you do, but very rarely. In most cases, almost always, it will only be revealed once Christ returns. Let me give an example. Part of what we do at Red Door Church and what it means when you give to Red Door Church, not only are we able to support this ministry, but we're able to support other ministries as well. We're able to support missionaries and we're part of a church planting organization and network and we're able to raise up more church planters. And all of this is made possible by people actually giving. Now imagine one day in heaven, a person comes up to you and says, they hug you, they greet you and you say, and they tell you, we've never met and you don't know me. But because of your generous giving, you supported a ministry through which I got saved. And I just want to thank you. That's a return on investment. A life forever saved and with Christ. We want to be generous with our finances. Giving away reminds us that everything that we have is from God, not just the peace. Everything that we have is from God. And so just because some, some people have a lot of money, we don't want to justify by them saying, well, now you're allowed to spend more than other people. We, we want to try to outdo one another in generosity. We want to be faithful stewards with that which God has given us. And when we think about generosity, we only tend to think about money. And I can only be generous with our money, especially when you have money. Then it's an easy fix for the problem. I don't really want to be involved with the tutoring program, so I'll just I'll support them and I'll give some money to the bank account. However, when the Bible mentions generosity, it talks about it in a holistic sense. Similar to Jesus, generosity means not just giving some of your resources, but all of yourself. And one of the scarcest resources or most valuable commodities in the 21st century, it's not information, <laughs> it's time. Ironically, it's the rat race that steals our time and it forces us to always work and work in inordinate amounts, and what little time we have left, we want to spend on ourselves. 
But family, when we look at Jesus and when we look at his ministry, we see that he was constantly just giving all of himself, just giving all of his time to the people around him. And this is what is expected of us. Once you start doing it, two things actually happen. Once you start being generous with your time, one, it guards you from just spending your time and trying to gain more. So it puts in a barrier there. And two, as we spend more time, it makes us more generous. We obviously want to spend time with our families, and that's important. But we also want to generously give time to our faith communities, to the faith family around us. But even more than that, we want to spend it on people that haven't earned it. The people that we want to get to know, to love, and to disciple. Yes, a lot of places need financial funds and help, but they need more than that. They need people to connect with people. This is a massive sacrifice that you will give. Let's be honest about that. However, let's be, let's be honest that this is a worthwhile one. It's worth being generous with your time. Lastly, we want to be generous with our finances. We want to be generous with our time, but we also want to be generous with our homes or where we live. Inviting someone into the space where you live is a huge sacrifice and an act of generosity, not because you've got an impressive home or because you can provide amazing meals like some of the people, I'm not going to point fingers, in this room. No, but because when you invite someone into your home, it communicates intimacy. It breaks down barriers. You communicate to whomever you're inviting that you are willing to show them who you really are and where you really live. Then as we share a meal, doesn't matter who it is, we suddenly become equals. We're in the same playing field, enjoying the same food through which we are being nourished. It's actually an amazing experience that builds real and true relationships as we invite people into our homes. A restaurant will never be able to do this. That's why I believe and Binky said this, the ministry of food, but why Jesus was constantly doing ministry with food and with the people around him. He was always either going into people's homes or providing food or even instituting his most important message through the Last Supper. It requires from us a level of vulnerability and generosity with your space and time that's not just good for getting to know and disciple people, but also good to check our own hearts. So even as I'm saying this now, what are some of the objections that you have to allowing people into your life? Not just into your life, into your space. What makes you anxious and nervous as I'm saying this right now? And don't, let's be honest, we all feel it to some degree. Try to be honest with yourself. Because I know we know, or greed knows how to hide itself well. It's because we are, we are fearful to be judged. We fear not having enough for ourselves. We fear what others might think of us. We fear of missing out. And so family, I want to end with this. How can we fear judgment and missing out when Jesus gave us his life? Even though many people on Wall Street have seen the temporary dangers and nature of greed, many of them are slaves. They've gone through the credit crunch, they've gone through the crises, yet they are committed to save, to serve the same master. They cannot escape the machine of their own greedy desires. And as the proverb says, greed steals the life of its possessors. 
And so I pray that through the gospel, we would be known as a church, as a family that is generous. That we would be people that definitely has ambition in the corporate world, wanting to achieve a lot in the world out there, definitely vocationally, but more than that, that we would be eager to grow in godliness and contentment. Eager to share with the world not only the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also ourselves. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for this morning. We're so thankful that we can gather this morning together physically. We're thankful for the song that was produced through hardship, leading us to Psalm 104, praising your name and saying that in you we want to rest. And Father, this morning as well, we know, we confess, we recognize that greed is deep within our veins, often hiding. We, we know this because of the difficulty it is to show in vulnerability and to invite people into our spaces to actually generously give of what we have to others. Father, I pray that we would behold your beauty, that we would be captured by your generosity and thereby being encouraged to also share as we've received everything, not just the message, but also ourselves. For your glory, amen.